you can be disrespected very easily financially when you're dating someone who is not in your tax bracket. Ooh. Welcome to the Court Off Guard podcast, the podcast where no topic is off limits. My name is Patricia Bright. I'm a content creator on YouTube, a self-proclaimed entrepreneur and founder of The Break Platform. On this podcast, we're going to have some amazing and successful guests who are all trailblazers in their own individual field. From models to business owners to founders, experts and influencers like myself, I'm going to find out what it's like to be there, what makes them tick, laugh and how they got to where they are and I'm even going to be brave enough to ask them what's in their wallet. As they say, honesty is their best policy and hopefully you're about to be caught off guard. Now before we get into this episode, I'm going to need you to subscribe if you're not subscribed already. I'll wait. In this week's episode, we are joined by the financial pop star, Hayley Sachs, the founder of Mrs. Dow Jones, a financial media company that uses humor and pop culture to help people understand money. I could not stop laughing in this one as she is hilarious. And in this episode, we're giving you that financial tea. This episode is all about helping you feel empowered, less worried and more confident about handling your money. We break down the secrets of the rich, explain why books are good investments and tell you the simple things you can do right now to get on top of your finances. As you know, I'm all about getting us to talk about money and helping people get on top of their ish, which is why I even started The Break and this podcast. So let me know if you find this episode helpful and stay rich. Hello and welcome to another episode of Court Off Guard. We are so excited to be here today and we are trans at Atlantic right about now. We have Hayley, the number one financial pop star. Hayley Sachs, aka Mrs. Dow Jones. Hayley, it's lovely to have you on. How are you doing? I'm amazing and I'm so excited to be here, Patricia. I think you are the coolest and I feel like we are transatlantic versions of each other, like in some sort of ways. Yeah. Like we're just... We're in the same family. For sure. Like I saw your Instagram page and I was like, oh my gosh, there's like another, I don't want to say it, but crazy woman who talks about finances, like myself. I was like, oh, great. My people. Wondering, that's how I felt too. I was like, oh my gosh, like she's like fun and flirty and gorgeous and like really like knows her stuff about money. Like I need to talk to this person. She's amazing. I love that. So I'm going to go into a little bit about you so my audience know who you are, what you're about, and some interesting facts about your background, because similar to me, you aren't the classic like finance person, and you've got a bit of a colourful background, even though you're in this space as well. So Hayley went from working in comedy to using her personality to create one of the most followed finance Instagram accounts. And her motto is stay rich, bitch. Lots of people feel scared or intimidated or just shut down when it comes to personal finance. But like myself and The Break, Hayley has a confident personality that by just being her and showing that she can understand personal finance, she's helping people feel more confident and also making personal finance seem more fun and cool. 
We love to see it. Could you share a little bit more about your background and how you got into finance? Like Patricia noted, I have always had a huge personality and I've loved creating content and I've loved humor. And so, you know, initially out of college, I thought, great, I'm going to go right into TV. And I started to work for David Letterman. And, you know, and I actually had a separate YouTube channel before then that wasn't really focused around like a brand message, but it was a great way for me to learn how to create content. So I was like dabbling on the interwebs. What were you doing? Tell me. I hope it wasn't something bad, but come on, tell us. Oh, girl, they were, oh. But let's just say I did have a viral video called Fun Armpit Hairstyles for Summer. I mean, I've never grown on my armpit hair, but it was like, it was, I, like, I was just like trying so hard to like go viral for no reason. You're looking at me like, okay, wasn't expecting that. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm just thinking about what armpit hairstyles would you actually oh, have? And so- why would people be watching that? <laughs> It was so, I know, like really went viral. And I also had a series called First World Problem Solutions. Okay. Which when I think about it was sort of like the predecessor to Mrs. Dow Jones because I was getting advice and I was breaking down, you know, these scenarios that we all get into and that we want uh, some guidance on. But like I said, it wasn't grounded around something. And I really believe like, if you're going to spend your life like making content, like you should be making content about something that matters. For sure. I needed to have some sort of reason why I was doing it versus just like, I woke up today. Here's my breakfast, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent feel you on that. I love it. So I was working at David Letterman. What were you doing there? If you don't mind me getting into, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. So I mean, I wish I could say that I was like writing the jokes, but really I was like submitting jokes and mostly like helping with the audience. And it was really cool. Like I was, it's such an, uh, an institution that show in New York, you know, like the Ed Sullivan theater. So it was really fun. Um, and it was my first job out of college, but it was really just, I mean, excuse my French bitch work. It was my first job. You know what? We've got to do it sometimes. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. 100%. So it was like very nitty gritty and really had nothing to do with like my, you know, what I really, my passion, but it felt like, okay, this is a cog in the wheel and mm-hmm. I'm getting towards something. So, um, and it was a part-time job, which is important to remember because that meant that I wasn't having to uh, dis- make decisions about my 401k. I, you know, taxes were different. Like it was a part-time job. It was hourly. And so like I coming out of college, I had no experience like with money. I was just like, okay, like you've got a paycheck. That's great. So flash forward, I had like a lot of odd jobs after that. And I got my first full-time job and they asked me about, you know, exactly that. What kind of 401k plan do you want? What, you know, how much do you want to spend on healthcare? These very simple adult questions that I, Patricia, had seriously no idea how to answer. Oh, you're not the only one. So I, I like nodded along, like, you know, played it off. Like, of course, like get back to you tomorrow. Like, let me just talk to my people. Went home, did a deep dive trying to get answers for all these questions on YouTube you know, on the internet. And what I found was so disappointing. First of all, it felt like 
all the women that I was finding online were really talking about saving. And then it was like the men were the only ones who were really talking about investing. Yeah, it's so annoying because it's like you can't build wealth unless you invest. Like penny pinching, you can't. Like penny pinching is like not going to get you anywhere. Like you have to actually like, you know, you got to get compound interest. Like we know about that. So I love this. You've already got into the juicy bits before we've got into the juicy bits. But before we get into that, I want us to do the eye shaker because this is something we do at the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to ask you a few questions that should kind of, you know, just shake you up a little bit, a little bit, nothing too crazy. So one of your catchphrases is stay rich, bitch. But what do you think is actually the secret to staying rich? Like what are some of the things that rich people do that no one really talks about when it comes to how they approach money? I would say that rich people spend less than they make. There's this idea of like, you know, that rich life, like, oh, I'm going to just like, I'm going to have a Bugatti and I'm going to have all these designer purses. I mean, we both love designer purses, but you know, the way that rich people actually get rich and stay rich is not through frivolous spending like that. It's really through putting their money away for later. It's, you know what they do? They don't think about their lifestyle right now. They think about their lifestyle in the future. And so that I think is like majorly the difference between rich people and people who are having trouble, like gaining momentum with their finances. hundred percent. Do you think a relationship can work if there's a big wealth gap? I've dated people who were richer than me and who I would say I was richer than them. And I don't think that it actually matters that much. I just think that like, you can be very, you can be disrespected very easily financially when you're dating someone who is not in your tax bracket. And so uh, it's, it's more about how they make you feel like you could Mm -hmm. date someone who had no money, who, you know, made you feel like a million bucks because they were like, so gracious to you and really had um, a lot of self-worth and they weren't at all like trying to take anything from you in a way that made you feel weird. And then you could date someone who is a lot more wealthy than you, who is really cheap and who, you know, is this wants to, you know, split every check. So I think it really depends on each person. But I think that money in relationships is like a something that you can't work on. You can't work on. Oh, this is an opinion. Share this. You know, I sort of think that it's like you're either fine. I think it's like you're sexually compatible. You're emotionally compatible. You're financially compatible. Like, I really think that it's like you either are or you aren't. I try to work on it with people. So I'm saying this like from a really like a true perspective. Like, I remember I was seeing this guy. He was like Wall Street, you know, like really cute. So into me. Like, and after our first date, I like, you know, I was sort of, I felt weird about it because while I really liked getting to know him, we split the check, which in my opinion, I think is pretty disrespectful on a first date. Like, you know, and I, I'm like a financial feminist or whatever that means. Like I, all of that, but like, I just really feel like if someone asks you to go out, like they don't know where you're coming from financially. Like that was like a Wednesday night. What if I didn't have the money to do that? And I was going because I thought that they were treating me because they invited me there. Like there's just a lot of different things that come with that. That's a definition of financial disrespect there. Like, you know, especially if it's like a Nobu restaurant, it's $150 or $200, whatever. And then he's like, let's split the check. Excuse me, you invited me out. You're like, I wouldn't have ordered any of this. Yeah. (laughs) 
I would have just had the water. Yeah, I would have an ice water. A hundred percent. On our third date, which is like the big third date, whatever, I was sitting across from him and I was thinking like, okay, like once you got to like a fourth date, you're sort of dating someone. So I was like, sure. before I like get to like that level, we'd already been talking very frequently. I need to tell him that this makes me feel weird. If not for me, for like my experience as Mrs. Dow Jones, because this is a very, in, like I'm taking this as research, right? Patricia, I'm like, well, other women in my audience have definitely gone through this. So I, I straight up said that to him. I was like, you know, it made me feel really weird. Like when we split the check on our first date, like, which I was so bold. I don't know if I should have said it. I am. No, you got to say it how it is. Sorry. Yeah. But, but needless to say, our relationship fizzled after that. It was, but he couldn't take it. But like, you know, it was a, it was a really good sign because it it taught me like, okay, I'm not going to waste any time with this person because we're really not on the same page financially. And he's not generous. I'm a very Mm -hmm. generous person, you know, like as much as I'm like, you know, into saving and investing, if you're my friend, like, and we're, you know, getting coffees, like I'll buy your coffee or like, you know, like I things like, I, I think those little moments of like action with money secretly mean so much to people. What do you think of um, tools such as Carlana? Do you have Carlana? I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. We're the same. Not a fan. Oh my God. And I, I literally, I get so pissed off at the websites that have them Yeah. because I'm like, you're tricking like a firm we have in America a firm is like the same thing. And it's like, I I can't stand it. I think it's like, well, you shouldn't be doing like a payment plan on a pair of pajamas. It's not that serious. Yeah. It's not that serious. Wear a t-shirt to bed and save your money. Like it's, if you, that's where you're going, like you have an issue with money you need to deal with. What does the finance industry think of you, especially as you're not a traditional financial advisor? Have you ever had any negative responses? Of course. Yes. I think that to be a trailblazer in any field, you're going to ruffle some feathers. I think it was Mark Zuckerberg who said, like, you don't make 8 million friends without making a few enemies. You know, while I don't think that I have enemies, I do think that there are people who devalue what I do because I don't have the traditional background that they respect. And that's more on them because I think that, like, I don't do it for them. I do it for my community and for my audience. You need people who are accessible that you relate to, to help teach you these lessons. And so I don't make any apologies for my background because I wouldn't be myself if I had like, instead of working at Letterman and like done all those odd jobs at the beginning of my career, if I had worked at a bank, I would, I would be a completely different person right now. I think you've led us nicely into the base. I want to talk about being unapologetically like fanatical about money, especially as a woman, and then being confident to talk about it. Because I know like culturally for us in the UK, talking about money is is considered rude. And, you know, talking about your salary or your income as a woman, it's just not done. So how do you feel confidently talking about this? It's really weird that we don't talk about money and that there's so much shame around it, which comes as no surprise to people. They know that. But I think that it's all about like just normalizing it. Like my dream, when I started Mrs. Dow Jones, I was like, I want people to go to brunch and talk about like the raise that they got at work or like, you know, the rent that's overdue the same way that they talk about like Bella Thorne or like, you know, a Kardashian or whoever I'm trying to think about cool Pippa Middleton. 
trying to think about cool British celebrities. Not that, not that cool. <laughs> not that cool, not that cool. We're not really talking about Pippa so much nowadays. <laughs> but yeah, I, I get it. You know, like I think that it should be in the zeitgeist as much as that. And the only way that you can make that change is just by doing it. Like no one's going to give you permission. And so you just have to do it. And I think that you're going to find that by talking about money with your friends, they're relieved because they want to talk about money too. Everyone's confused. Everyone wants like the insights. Everyone wants tips. Everyone wants to be better. So why wouldn't we crowdsource and use each other for knowledge? And I also think that, you know, they or different industries, they love the fact that certain people don't talk about, you know, their salaries or numbers. It gives them control. Patricia, you're so right. Like that's honestly been like something that's so eye-opening to me about my own financial journey is just like, It's not that hard. So why is it masked in all of this mystique and these terms? The language that is there to confuse you and make you feel like, you know, you can't understand it. Yeah. There's literally like neighborhoods that are dedicated to people who work with money. Like there's Wall Street in New York. I'm sure there's the same thing in London. Like it's like we've made it such an outsider, insider culture. Um. And so I I don't think that they like when we talk about money because it uh, takes away from their power. Yeah, for sure. But I think, you know, social media is allowing us all to have these conversations more, Mm -hmm. particularly as women. And even myself, when I've shared about, you know, my numbers, my investment portfolios, it's only because I watched 10 other guys doing it. All these guys saying, I make 6 million a year, I make 8 million a year. And I couldn't find one woman doing it while all these guys shared their investment portfolios. I was like, no, like, I'm going to do this. Like, I don't care. I'm going to like, let everybody know. Literally, like, I'm going to, I'm getting investment properties just so I can like, be the second woman who will do that. (laughs) We love to see it. Where would you think about investing? FYI? I definitely would invest in real estate. Like if I had the capital right now, I think I would actually buy in New York because interest rates are so low. And then, you know, I would probably put most of my money just in the market. Like if I had like a surplus of money, like I would just put it into long-term like ETFs and mutual funds. Like I'm not, a we talked about this, like we're not day traders. Like I'm really about like set it and forget it. Like I really believe in passive investing. I don't have time. I am so busy. You don't have time either. Like don't have the time. like, Like God bless the people who are at home, like buy, sell, up with the Chinese markets, whatever. Yeah. But like at 4 a.m. watching the screens and looking at candlesticks, like I don't have the time to do that. And by the way, like they are gambling. Whereas 100%. We, we could put our money into investments that are going to earn 8%. And, you know, we don't have to worry about as much because we're diversified instead of going all in on something that like you have no idea if it's going to sink or swim. Yeah. And there's actually stats around that. So women invest um, less often, but we're more successful with investing. And this is because we choose to invest in less riskier options, such as index funds and ETFs and that kind of situation. So we're good at this because we're a bit more level headed than the men. A hundred percent. I totally, yeah, men are always trying to like win and like be the one who's like bragging about like, oh, I found this crazy deal. But you know what also really, today is we're recording this on tax day. And like, don't you feel like in your work, you just find every like 
I just keep finding these pockets that like need more people need more information about like what frustrates me the most is that when people are like well-meaning trying to invest and then because of the system they're somehow uh you know charged fees or you know because it's not made clear to them and that frustrates me so much because you're you're set up a little bit to fail you really have to have your own back so you are a new yorker And I feel like New Yorkers are famous for their hustle, their grind, but also their attitude. (laughs) Can you share what it's like, you know, being a New Yorker? And if you think that your upbringing has really had an impact in the direction that you've gone and also your desire to, you know, learn more about finances. Yes, I love that question. And I think that you're right on the money, Patricia. I can't imagine that I would be sitting here if I hadn't grown up in New York. Oddly enough, um, I meet a lot of people who work in financial media or, you know, like not on Wall Street, but around Wall Street, I would say. And a lot of them grew up on the Upper East Side, where I grew up as well. So I'm, I'm starting to think there's something in the water there. What is the Upper East Side? Tell, to explain this to me. I hear this term all the time. Like, tell me what this means as a British person. Okay. The Upper East Side is like, I'm so upset that I don't know London better because I would, I would probably have a great reference for you. But did you ever watch like Gossip Girl? Sex in the City I watched. Sex in the City. Okay, Sex in the City. Like Mr. Big lived on the Upper East Side or like, it's the Upper East Side is like very neighborhoody and, mm-hmm. um, and posh and like exclusive, like, like all of the schools are, the class sizes are very small, but you know, all the other schools. So like you grow up in this very tight network. Um, and from there you can like leverage those connections and really get a jump start on things. Yeah. It's a very high powered community of people who are like affluent and, um, who are, you know, interested in, I don't know, I guess living in New York, living on the Breeze side. So this sounds like people who live in Chelsea or potentially Knightsbridge, but it sounds like Chelsea. It's not rich foreign. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds like, yeah, I mean, I don't know Chelsea, but I I imagine she's a great gal. Um, (laughs) And and so, I mean, but of course, when you're growing up there, you don't know any of these things. This is just like, you know, these stereotypes have been made clear to me since then by people who are like, you grew up on the Upper East Side. Like, did you wear a headband to go to sleep? Like, how many nannies did you have? Like, what? headbands <laughs> are very, like, people think, like, headbands are, like, very, like, Upper East Side. And did you wear, like, a school uniform to school? I actually didn't, but, you know, many people okay, did. Fine. I went, yeah, I didn't wear one. Because I grew up on the Upper East Side, I was around a lot of mostly dads who worked on Wall Street, including my own dad. So, you know, you always have some sort of familiarity with your parents' work. And for me, it was, you know, felt very off limits and uh, confusing what he did, like walking into his office and hearing like CNBC on or him on a conference call, like the language that they were speaking, like what we were talking about earlier felt so over my head and just like completely inaccessible. So I would say like from an early age, just decided like maybe not even consciously, but that my dad would be in charge of money. And then when I got married, my husband would do the money because that was not for me. It was so confusing. I couldn't understand that. Like what? Like, no, I'm just going to stay over here in my lane and 
you know, you boys do the finance stuff. So your upbringing definitely had an influence in that maybe there might be a tenuous link between the fact that your dad worked on Wall Street, that you have this mild connection, although you didn't really think it was for you, it might have rubbed off just a touch. A hundred percent. I think it definitely rubbed off. And I think also, you know, you, I think the most powerful things that we create as like artists or however you want to put it, creators are like when you lean into your Achilles heel. Yeah. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. And this was my Achilles heel. So like anything else that I was doing was almost inauthentic because this was always at the back burner, like haunting me and making me feel like, not good enough or not whole. I don't think you ever, yeah. like, I really believe like you're never really yourself. You're never like fully a hundred percent, like most genuine version of yourself until you like have your finances figured out. And that doesn't mean being on a debt. That doesn't mean like having an investment property. That just means being on your own page, looking at your finances, understanding where you stand and where you want to go. Um, mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing that. And so, you know, when I finally had my financial wake up call and I was telling you about when I had that job and they were asking me all of those complicated questions and it sort of sent me down this rabbit hole. And in the, you know, in that moment and, you know, weeks following, I sort of woke up and I realized, A, this is so important. B, it's very interesting. That was something that was, that really surprised me was I was so empowered by the information that I was gaining. Like I felt so smart. I felt so connected to the world. Like I could, you know, finally really understand what was happening around me. Like suddenly, like if a store closed, it wasn't just like sad. It was the end of brick and mortar. Like I might've taken, (laughs) you know, like I might've taken it too far. Like I was like, really like it became like my identity. I was like, yes, I know about all of this. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I do think obviously we all are influenced by our parents and by our upbringing, but you know, it's all about like what you do with that. But I was lucky enough to find a lane that I could really explore that and learn more. Yeah. And I would say, even though you were, you know, you had that background, someone worked on Wall Street that you knew, but you didn't necessarily feel at the time that you knew much then. I don't think most people's parents do tell them the nitty gritty about what's going on. Patricia, mine didn't. My dad manages people's money and he didn't teach me how to like it's not his fault. Like that was his job. And let's ask ourselves, is it their responsibility? Is it the school's responsibility? And I think we're of the school of thought that potentially it's our responsibility to take control and learn more about finances ourselves because no one's going to teach it to us. And we are going to be the ones who are impacted when our finances go wrong. That I love. And also I am very curious about with your children, because I I can't imagine having Patricia Bright as your mom and not like growing up, like, you know, knowing exactly how many pennies you had in your piggy bank or whatever. I'm going to try and be a, a parent who tries to educate my children on finances. But I do think it's important for people to make their own mistakes as well, because you can tell, you know, your kids save up, you know, 
invest or whatever, but they might not want to do it until they really need to do it. I think the biggest thing that your kids are going to learn though, is just by you lead so much by example, Patricia, like you are such a powerful, like hardworking person who is really paving her own path. And you, I, you give it a hundred, like you work so hard. I know how much, like, I can't even imagine how much work you do every day. And so, you know, having someone in your life who is dedicating themselves so fully to their work is going to be enough, I think, to inspire them and to make them realize that like, wow, like it really is important to like create your own identity and to be in control. Exactly. And finances is just one aspect really of being a whole person and kind of, developing yourself it's not just about being greedy or wanting to buy more stuff but you know money makes the world go round money is the number one reason that people get divorced it's the number one one of the biggest reasons as to why people are depressed or struggling so maybe we can just help the world a little bit by helping people with their finances 100 percent. i totally agree what were some of the first books and resources you read when you wanted to learn about finances more Okay. Yes. I love that you asked this because I don't know if you guys know this, but Patricia and I both are very much on the personal development wave. Like, I feel like you're a big reader. I'm a huge reader. Um, and the first book that I read that really changed the way that I like looked at investing was Warren Buffett's ground rules. And it is very tense. I actually, I have a book club called MDJ reads and that book was our first book club pick. But at that point, the book club was just my assistant and my friend because I was like, guys, I really want to read this book, but it seems really intimidating. Like, let's read it together. Like, and we did. And, you know, it's Warren Buffett, who's obviously so successful, his shareholder letters over so many years. And one key point resounds through the whole book. And it's just compound interest. Yeah. The miracle product. I yeah. know. So I shut the book at the end and I was like, okay, whoa. Like, yes, that was repetitive, but obviously if Warren Buffett is repeating the importance of compound interest. It's got to mean something. Exactly. Yeah. So that was like a really, really, really big one for me. And then I would say Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss has been really big for me I because this one. Oh, I'll send, I mean, I could send you a copy. It's so good. It's all about negotiating. And he was an FBI negotiator, Patricia. Yeah. And then like came back to America and started to teach, I think, at Harvard. And, you know, you probably, you do business deals all day. I do business deals as well. And it's hard to feel non emotional about things and to, you know, empathize with other sides. Like there's just so much that happens when you're doing deals that can, it can bring up like childhood trauma. Like (laughs) basically. Yeah. And whether or not you feel like you're worth it or whether or not you can ask for any more, you don't even know. A hundred percent. It brings up so much stuff. So I love Never Split the Difference. And then, you know, I really love the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. It is, you know, it is just a staple by Napoleon Hill. It's just, gets you so in the mindset. And I think like, I really believe that you can choose your mood. Like I am very, I completely understand feelings and like things happening to you and whatever, but it's like, I really believe that like you can overcome things and like decide what mindset you're in and like get on a vibrational frequency to like help you accomplish where you want to go or accomplish Mm -hmm. the things that you want to get done to get where you want to go. So I love rereading Think and Grow Rich because it's literally like just, it just feeds your mind with all of this, you know, 
good knowledge that makes you feel like, yeah, I can think and grow rich. I'm going to be a billionaire. I've heard a lot about this one as well as there's obviously Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's Money Masters, Masters of Game with Tony Robbins and a couple of other ones. But I know that those are some really good classics to go with. And then my book. Okay, shout out your book. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. No, it hasn't come out. No, it hasn't come out yet. Oh, it hasn't come out yet. Right. Okay. But I want it. I want it to be, it's going to be like the the next one. Like, because what I think was so good about Rich Dad, Poor Dad is it teaches you about assets versus liabilities. Yeah. Doesn't even teach you like, here's how to make a budget. It literally just teaches you like, Here's how to spend your money in ways that like you can actually make money from those purchases. You know, I'm trying to write a Bible in that way too. So I'll let you know. I'll send you a copy when it comes out. You got to be writing a book too, I'm sure, right? I already wrote a book actually. <laughs> oh my God, I, I have your book. It's on Kindle. I have it on Kindle. Yeah, it's a little, I shouldn't say old. It was like released like two years ago. I think it was two years ago. But yeah, that was my first move into book writing. So I will not say that I'm an author, but I try everything and I really do put my heart into everything that I do. So it's probably not the most perfectly written book, but it is my writing on paper. Literally do not downplay that at all because writing a book is truly arduous and tough. So love that too. Yeah, I mean, and I have so many other books. I just am always trying to read. If there's one thing that I never don't spend money on, it's books. Like I went to a bookstore for the first time in so long this weekend because obviously we haven't been going out and I like, you know, was obviously like bought so many different books, but I just think you can't really put a price tag on education. I don't think you can. I think some of the things that people like they ask about, you can find this information in a book. Every question that people have out there is available. There is an answer. You just need to kind of find a book and read and read and learn and desire it. And I think that reading has seemed like something that's quite... Yeah, desire it is so huge, Patricia. Yeah. Like you have to like be so interested. Yeah. Or really want to change. Yeah, I watched your video about your favorite books and I was like, oh, I love all these books too. Another reason that I love this girl, like she has all the same favorite books as me. Thank you. I feel like it was geeky to talk about books and finance and stuff like that. But I feel like this is the new generation of women. Like we want to really be on top of our ish as much as possible and not leave this to other people. But also like what's wrong with being geeky? Like I sort of think it's chic. Yes, geek chic. Like I sort of think it's like, I know I sort of think it's cool to like know stuff and like just like be, you know what I mean? Like I I think it makes you so much more interesting. Yeah. Who are you if you're not, you know, you have to have some sort of interest and passion. So do you have any advice for someone who might be stressed about their finances or someone who doesn't even like looking at their finances? What's the pep talk you'd give them? Well, first of all, this is my favorite kind of person because I was this person. And I think that like the first step really is the hardest step. So I feel you if that's you right now. And I would say the first thing that you have to do is print out three months of like all your bank statements and your credit card statements. And like, obviously, I know there's so many different apps to do this on, Mm -hmm. but As someone who before, like before I actually really did it, I would download all those apps and it was so passive, Patricia, that I, it didn't make any change for me. Like, you know, if you, 15 minutes is not enough time to like really understand like, okay, like this is where I'm, you know, sort of overstepping or I could be doing better. You need to really, so I, I really believe in doing it by hand. I'm a pen and paper girl as well. I love pen and paper. Makes me so happy. Oh my gosh, I have this big cup of like colored pens. Like I like... You love colored pens. 
I love a colored pen and I, you know, with the, with the budgeting stuff, like going through it with a color for each different category of expense and then tallying up, you know, how much you're spending on each of those categories, calculating your net worth for the first time and Mm -hmm. also your fixed expenses. And then you, you get an idea of your starting budget, which people are like starting budget. I don't have a budget. I thought we were making a budget. And it's like the same way, like when you have a diet, even if you're not on a diet, yeah. Like what you eat is your diet. Like what you're spending, that's your budget. So, you know, it's just, are you in control of your diet? Are you in control of your budget? Is it getting you where you want to go? Or are you just, is it just different every day? And you're just like, bloop, whatever. I don't really, (laughs) I'm not really thinking about this too much. And then the next thing that I would say is to save an $1,000 emergency fund, Mm -hmm. which obviously that's not enough money to like be your emergency fund. But I think like learning how to save just that first $1,000 is a really important like beginning step in your financial journey. Actually, I have a video on YouTube called that details like all of the financial steps that I went through when I first started my financial journey, where I break all this down in. So go to Mrs. Dow Jones on YouTube if you are curious. Yes, for sure. And we're going to be doing something on there as well. Oh, yeah. Patricia's going to be on it. I can't wait. You guys have to come see. I'm going to get her to open up. But yeah, saving the first $1,000, I think is really important. And then, you know, uh, slowly paying off your high interest rate debt and adding to your emergency fund while, you know, you're scaling down on your purchases that maybe don't mean as much to you. Sure. I think with a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds, it's not just that it's the amount. I think it's the, the mental association with that being a goal of success. Like if I was like, I want you to save five to six months of, uh, of your emergency fund, you would be like, okay, cool. I'm never doing that. Yeah, exactly. Or if you see 4,700, you're like, ah, panic. I think a thousand pounds looks good. And, And then you have a huge sense of accomplishment because you realize, okay, I can actually do this. Yeah. It's not, it's not so scary. It's not so impossible. Like I can absolutely do this. And like, that's, what's crazy about saving that first thousand dollars or thousand pounds is you realize like, whoa, like it, it can, you can get that money quickly. And actually that leads me on nicely to the next question about side hustles. Were you a side hustler? And do you believe in the power of the side hustle? A hundred percent. And like, to this day, I still side hustle. And like, I have to remember like, Haley, don't focus on the trees focus on the forest because like you know time is money and like I'm so eager always to like earn (laughs) eager to earn over here I am over here trying to earn it all (laughs) every job yes oh every job I'm like sure of course like what's up to (laughs) thank you for thinking of me but I'm, I'm just as bad but I'm trying to like be more a little bit more discerning because you have to really think about the value of time of course yeah but I so believe in side hustles. I wish I had more things to sell on eBay. I've sold them all. I've done that whole thing. I, you know, I did surveys. I babysat. I like anything that you want to pay me for, I will do, Basically, you know? Yeah. And so, but that's, what's interesting about what I'm doing now is because I'm, I'm going back to school and a, I had to, I'm paying to go back to school, but also it's going to take up so much time that like could yeah. be time that I'm earning. But it's like, you know, the long-term play of like, okay, this will add so much value over time. So it'll be worth it. It's true. It's always about balancing like the investment value and the the time value. So you know that you're letting go of time right now to 
you know, retrain. You're retraining as a, what is it, a CF? It's, a, it's a, called a CFP. And CFP. so we were sort of talking about how I haven't had like formal education. And I really believe what Patricia was saying when we were talking about books in terms of like, you can learn anything because truly, I mean, you've learned so much. I've learned so much reading, Google, YouTube, all these places are amazing sources. But like my long-term goal with Mrs. Dow Jones is I really want to figure out a way to get financial literacy taught in schools. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think I can like go to the Supreme Court and like, you know, like tell people that like, you know, why this is important eventually. And like, you'll be with me 10 years. We can do it together. We'll go go in both countries. Um, And, but just being like, yeah, I'm an influencer, you know, I'm a self-proclaimed financial pop star. Like, I think there's some people who it matters a lot to have the title, Yeah. but then there's also about just like adding value to Mrs. Dow Jones. Like I want to be the very best Mrs. Dow Jones that I can be. And like, there's things like insurance planning. I'm going to literally learn everything about like insurance planning. Insurance planning. Very, very sexy. What a subject. I mean, my background was... I graduated in accounting and finance. Yeah. So I've got that background. And then I also worked in investment banking. I still didn't know anything. (laughs) So the school of life has actually taught me the most as a a fact. That's where I've learned the most when it's come to finances. But I am able to apply some of that knowledge I picked up while working as well. next I want you to just give me your quick fire one word answer and this is my drop and give me 20 so yes or no to a prenup yes favorite cardi b song money sex or checks both champagne or chocolate champagne success is a marathon or a sprint marathon your biggest fear is not finding the love of my life your affirmation is you can do anything you put your mind to Is it better to kill people with kindness or with humor? Humor. Favorite Kardashian? Because I know you're a fan. I love the Kardashians. Saving or investing? Both. If you just invest with no emergency fund, then you really like open yourself up to a lot of losses. But never put money like in your state. Like you should always invest if you can invest, but like don't invest if you don't have savings. Financial freedom means to you. Being able to do whatever you want on your own terms. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Working for Patricia. (laughs) Yes, we'd love to have you on board. I'm going to just ask you a few questions as well in regards to what's in your wallet. We're going to get a little bit personal. How do you stay on top of your finances on a daily basis? What are the tools or apps that you might use? I look at my bank account a lot and my investment portfolios, like I would say probably once a day, if not like every other day, which is more than I would recommend for someone. But I just really like to know. And then like for my business, I use QuickBooks, which I really like. Love QuickBooks. Yeah, QuickBooks is amazing. And I do all my budgets. Like I have my own systems that I've created like in Google Sheets that, you know, eventually Mm -hmm. when I release my book and stuff, I'll let people have. But had like created my own systems for that. What apps? So I mean, I have Mint, I have, you know, I have those, but I just, I like to do it by hand more. I like to see the ratio that they'll make you on Mint. Like you're spending this much on food, you're spending this much on beauty, but like Mm -hmm. actually like if I need to make a change, I have to do it by hand. Okay, I love that. What about you? I have a lot of Excel spreadsheets that I make myself and I scribble on paper all the time. Yeah, 
I love auto population and I love like stretching my formula and seeing, you know, what it could earn or how it could grow with this, you know, rate of growth applied to it. So I like seeing what could happen based on numbers. And then I can see how I can be the multi, multi millionaire. <laughs> You're gonna be. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to be. We'll get there. We'll definitely get there. Yeah, exactly. What are the biggest misconceptions around investing that you've realized? That you have to be really, really, really like well-versed in Wall Street in order to do it. You don't, do you? You don't. What do you like to spend your money on that isn't physically smart? Oh, I mean, sushi, designer purses. I'm obsessed. Like ever since I was little, I've loved like designer goods. Like I think that is like definitely my downfall. Makeup. Like I'm so bad. It's like you sound you like know, me basically. <laughs> yes. Like I literally it's like it's like all of this, all of like the outrageous, like obnoxious things that you that I just that's it. That's what I want. <laughs> A woman after my own heart. I feel like life's about balance. You know, you can save, invest, be wise, but if you want to buy that. Gucci bag, buy it. It's fine. Yeah. If you've got the resources. If you have the resources, 100%. And by the way, like, I believe so much more in, like, buying something of value because what I was saying about, like, the eBay game or, like, whatever, like, the reselling game, the side hustle, you will make no money on your clothes from Zara. But if you, like, save up and buy something nice and then you get into a hard time that you need to, like, sell things, that will actually bring you back some money. Amazing. So have you got any takeaways or final thoughts for anyone who's listening or wants to know more about you or from you? Well, first of all, thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Patricia, for having me. It was so refreshing and fun to talk to someone as bright and fiscally focused as you are. And I so admire you. And I am, you know, just so excited to like be in your orbit. Oh, thank you. Love this language. No, I truly. And if you um, are following please come to me for, you know, financial help in terms of like financial planning, personal finance, these things I can really help you with. And I have so much content available that will demystify Wall Street and make keeping up with the Dow Joneses as fun as keeping up with the Kardashians. We love to see it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Could you say your at and handles? It's at Mrs. Dow Jones. So like Mrs. like MRS and then D-O-W-J-O-N-E-S. Married to the money, basically. <laughs> Married to, yes, exactly. Married to the Dow. All right. Well, amazing. It was great catching up. And yeah, that's it, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode of Court of Guard. Thank you so much for listening. And we're not done yet. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening on. If you like the Court of Guard podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Please share the podcast on your social media or in your WhatsApp groups and let me know your thoughts on what we've discussed using the hashtag Court of Guard pod. Follow me and The Break on Instagram and YouTube and you can just Google me. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people find us. And I'd love to know what future guests you'd like me to interview and what topics you'd like us to discuss. So keep all your suggestions coming. I read all your comments and I really appreciate your feedback and support. So until next time. Cool.
Caught Off Guard, presented by The Break Platform, is an independent podcast created and hosted by Patricia Bright. The producer and executive producer is Clarissa Pappy.